Well, thank you so much. Uh, wow. This is amazing. The music. It sets the tone. It sets the scene for this morning. I tell you what. Everything that Sister Stacy said and everything that this lady said here in the music, it just lines up. I love how it does that. Line upon line, here, there. It's all so wonderful. It's an honor and a privilege to be here at Grace Fellowship Christian Church. I want to thank the pastor, Jared, and Sister Carrie for hosting this beautiful gathering of ladies for today, but also for this whole entire week. I love to come to camp meetings or services like this, and I love to be in every part of it. I hate to miss anything because it just is like each day just adding and the foundation set, and then it just builds on that. I know a lot of prayers and thoughts and preparation went into this meeting today as well. And like Sister Stacy said, such behind the scenes. I know when we have um, our camp meeting, all the work that goes into it, the many, many weeks of prep, uh, it's astounding how many people it takes to do something like this. And um, the fruit from your labor will not go unnoticed. It will continue on for the next few weeks and months and years ahead. I believe it's something special, though, when ladies gather together. There's something about ladies that, in particular, the sweet fellowship. You have come from busy schedules, and I know a lot of you had to make a lot of preparations to be here, leave a babysitter, have a babysitter for your children, laundry that has to be done, things that have to be all prepped just to be able to be here, and the sacrifice that was here. So the Lord will reward you for that this morning. You know, I've heard it say, said, um, and let's see, there's only one, two guys here, or maybe a couple more uh, back there, so you just pardon this uh, next uh, thing that I'm going to say. <laughs> Don't take any offense to it, since we're all ladies here. I've heard it said that on the sixth day, God created the human and called him man, and breathed life into him. He was a living soul, and God said, hmm... I think I can do better than that. So he created woman. (laughs) Okay, well, maybe not, but (laughs) it's a nice thought anyway, right? After Brother Jerry called and asked for me to speak, um, my first response is always no, because... um, I like to be just behind the piano, and I like to minister one-on-one. So to minister to a group is is different for me. I mean, I've done it since I was a child. I, w- I was received Christ at an early age of seven. I was filled with the Holy Ghost. I was introduced to the Holy Ghost at 17, and I'm a preacher's kid, and now I'm a preacher's wife. And so at, when I turned 17, I was introduced to the Holy Ghost. Never heard of it before. And, um, man, it changed my life. I saw what it did to my husband, too. Um, He was a very timid man, unbelievable. Now he doesn't seem like anything like that. 
<laughs> nothing at, at all. And when I saw that, I wanted, I wanted it. And I saw it in other people, too, that had the Holy Ghost. We started going to a church that was uh, Pentecostal, and so uh, it scared me to death, I will have to say. I was raised Baptist, and um, so um, I sat close to the back door with literally, the place was packed like this was last night, and I literally had my hand on the doorknob because I thought, I'm going to leave this place. But I saw so many people in there that worshipped just as you were worshipping this morning. And I knew and I saw something that they were loving on Jesus like I'd never seen before. And I wanted that. So that began to stir in my heart. But first, at, at, right after Jared, Brother Jared called me, I, um, I heard these words. And I never get a title. Never. My husband, I usually give him my message. And, and I'm not a preacher. I'm just, I feel like I'm just a layman that just speaks. I'm more like a Sunday school teacher, but don't scare, don't let that scare you off because some Sunday school teachers are not, they have a lot of things to say. And so I have a lot of scriptures this morning, but um, my husband usually has to give me the title, but I got the title first and it was called Strength to Minister. Um, since I was diagnosed on June the 4th with uh, uh, uterine cancer, I no longer have it as far as I know. Praise God. Um, I felt I, I only received the news on G June the 4th, and on June the 15th it was removed. So I didn't really feel like I was really, people would say, you're a cancer survivor. I go, no, I'm not. I just, as far as I know, I just had it for a few days in my mind. But since that time, uh, my body has gone through a lot of different things, and um they wanted me to do six rounds of, of chemo, but um, I asked them if just to do three, and we just did three, and they wanted to do radiation, and I told them no. I felt like God had already spoken a word over me, and I didn't want to do it. I wanted to follow him. And since that time, I have not had stamina and strength like I want. And many times I minister to people as a pastor's wife, you do. You stay at the back door. A lot of times there's counseling going on, you know, over, over a, a cup of coffee. I don't drink coffee, but I drink tea, and they drink coffee. <laughs> but there, there wasn't the strength to minister like I had before. So I had to limit some of my um, ministering. And God gave me this scripture in Luke 4, 38 through 39. And he rose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's Simon's wife's mother, this is Peter's mother-in-law, and she was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And look what the next verse says. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Immediately she began to do you see a character, something about her character. She could have said, hey, guys, I've been really sick here in the bed for several days. I don't know how long it, that she was sick. She could have said, I've really been sick. So how about y'all coming back next Sunday? I'll feel better about fixing you a meal and preparing and, and, and serving you and being the hostess that I need to be. 
but she didn't. Immediately, she arose. She felt that strength come into her body, and she began to minister. You know, there's different forms of ministry. We have our testimony. Of course, all of us here in this room, if you know Jesus and you walk that walk, you have a testimony. It doesn't matter if you've been through something bad. I used to say that. I'd say, well, I got saved when I was seven. Never really knew what, the, what it was to sin, uh, you know, other than, you know what I mean, attitudes and things like that you have to work on for the rest of your life. Um, you have to have uh, the fruit of the Spirit in your life constantly. But I'm talking about being out in the world. And so when people would testify, I'd say, well, I don't really have a testimony. And I realized one day after I heard a man uh, testify that he had backslid and he went into the world and then he came back and he said, I realized that all along I had a testimony. I had a testimony for living for God. And that's not a brag, not at all. Continue to walk with the Lord for the rest of your days on this earth. You've got a testimony. And then there's other ways to minister. Just like some of you in this, this congregation have you, some of you ladies have really worked hard behind the scenes. The meals, the cleanup. I, last night I went to the restroom and I, a lady came in, I, I assumed, and, and started sweeping around. And I thought, Lord, just bless her. I don't know who she was. I didn't see anything. But I didn't see who she was. But I know God. I said, God, you bless her. She's ministering. She's ministering to all of us by keeping that bathroom clean. I want to set the scene here. Jesus came into the town of Capernaum, and it's located by the Sea of Galilee. And um, we were able to go to Israel. I've gone a couple of times, and so this this place is in my mind. And, and we were looking at the home of where uh, Peter's mother-in-law lived. And um, it was just fascinating to be able to see the scriptures come to life there. And um, so Jesus was there for several Sabbaths, and he was teaching there in the synagogue. They had church like we do. And after they left the church, uh, one of the Gospels, this is recording in Matthew and Mark and then in Luke, but one of the Gospels says that uh, Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John, who were brothers, James and John were, and Peter and Andrew were brothers, they were with Jesus. And so they came to the house and there were other men there as well. One of the commentators said there was other men. So there was a good group that had come in. And so they usually, what do you do after church? You usually go somewhere to eat, go home and eat. And sometimes there's fellowship. Some of the youth a lot of times ask each other to go to each other's homes or go somewhere to eat. So they needed to eat. They needed refreshment. But it being the Sabbath, now um, most of the time on the Sabbath, they could not fix a huge meal. They had to prepare it the day before and uh, because it was the Sabbath uh, rituals. Um, but J Jesus stayed there all day long. The Bible says that at sunset he, the people were brought to him to be healed. So that being said, because it was sunset, it was the Sabbath was over. And then those people could, uh, you know, because of Jewish tradition, they felt like it was against the law or whatever for them to be healed. So they came after sunset. So you think about it. This lady, I, she's not named, but she was there all day long. And what do you do when there's a big old group at your house all day long? You know, okay, you might say, well, I just have cold cuts. You know, I just have a ham and cheese or turkey and cheese sandwiches or whatever. And maybe a little bit of a snack. 
But that, they, that group was there after lunch, the afternoon, and that night. And this lady had been very, very, very sick. And she arose immediately and she began to minister. And that's what we must do. Our life is all about that. That's for the rest of our life we will minister. It doesn't matter if a big old storm comes into your life, which they will. It doesn't matter if this was a good week or a bad week. You know, sometimes we say, oh, I have, I've had a bad hair day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't had a good hair day in a few months. But it's not always about our hair, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we like to think that that's all it's about, but it's a whole lot more than that. During the most awfulest storms of your life, the Bible says, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What is that against that day? That day is not a bad hair day. That day is not about having a flat tire. That day is not about stumping your toe. That day is a worst day of your life. And you have to commit to God on those days. You have all the things that you've ever gone through in your life prepare you for that day it's on the calendar from the devil it's circled and he wants to take you out he tries to take us out but everything that we do every storm that we face we must know that it's not just all about us I, I felt like and I'll be honest and, and uh, transparent here I feel like in my younger years in ministry um you, you, in the ministry, you, uh, you do receive a lot of criticisms. People seem like they can um, really uh, come up to you and say anything. And you get your feelings hurt. And what happens is you, turn it, you can turn it into self-pity. So my husband said last night, it's one of life's greatest dangers. I heard Brother Clinton and preach an awesome message on that many years ago. Life's greatest uh, destructive destruction in your life is self-pity and we're all prone to it and we have to say lord you don't let it camp there you cannot camp in that that territory you you may be hurting and i'm not saying and minimizing anybody's pain here this morning you hurt you cry but you get up and you go forth because you know there's a song that we sing, I'm going on, I'm going on. I'm going on towards the mark, towards my goal. So many lives depend on what I do. Give me the strength, dear Lord. I'm going on for you. So many lives, your children, your parents maybe, maybe your, maybe your sister, brother, family members, your church. There's somebody looking at your life. When I was 10 years old, my mother told me that there was a young boy in the church. He was five years old. She said that the mother came to my mother and said, talking about me, that that little boy looked up to me. And I thought, why? I didn't even know his name. But he looked up to me, she said, and he talked about me. We never know who's watching our lives. We never know. We are the only Bible that some people read. That's right. 
And there's times that I feel like we don't have to be like a shoe salesman and sell this gospel. You are to be led by the Spirit. In John, it says to join where the Father is working. We don't have time in these last days, especially in the last year, has been such a challenging year, not just because I was sick, but because of the things going on in the world as well. There's some things that um, I, I just really got upset about. Not only just the sickness, but when you go in, you can't have nobody with you. And how many, how many know that it's such a comfort whenever you have someone with you? Our family members and people who love you are such a support, and they strengthen you. But anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, so that's okay. I, I got off a little bit. Our serving aspect is found in, uh, I believe, in... Uh, 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9 sums it up really well. Above all things, have fervent charity. Love among yourselves. For charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to one another without grudging. Ah, (laughs) this sums it up. Everything that we do is about love. Why do we minister? If it's ministering one-on-one or if it's ministering like this, Most of our lives is about ministering one-on-one, just to different people that come in our lives. You know, so this lady not only received a miracle of healing, but she also received strength and stamina to minister all day long. I believe what motivated her was love, and that's what must motivate us. The Bible says use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now, we can, we, you know, sometimes I have workers in my church, and um, every once in a while uh, we have to have a, uh, a little meeting and, and, and re-talk this, you know, because I hear them grumbling and griping and complaining. I don't, I don't know if you know anybody that does that, <laughs> but sometimes they do, and it's because they get upset about different things, and I say, what is our motive? What is everything behind what we're doing here today? It's to do it unto the Lord. And I've told my husband, I said, you know, these fellowships that we have, I used to look at it differently, but now I've, I see it in a different light. Um, in Acts uh, 2.42, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the, in the apostles' doctrine with fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. I said, that's a four, fourfold gospel. That is, the Bible says, apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God, then the fellowship, then the breaking of bread together, and then the praying. All of those things are very important. So fellowship has a very important role. So if you wash a dish, if you take the trash out, that is ministry. If you do that with a a pure heart and you're doing it unto the Lord, then it's like the Lord will reward you. Did anyone see you take out that trash? Did anyone see you sweep that floor? No. Did anyone pat you on the back? No. The, the, the scripture says um, in one of the places it was talking about one of the servants. And this is where God healed me of self-pity. In my devotional time many, many years ago, probably 30-something years ago, I was just reading a scripture, and it didn't say anything about self-pity. But it just said that this servant, he ministered to his master. He went out in the field and he worked. He came in from the field and his master said, fix me a meal. 
Ah, here he had worked all day long in the field. Okay, do you ever feel like that? You've worked all day long, and you come in, and now what is expected of you? All the chores and things that women do. Because, unfortunately, most of the work falls on women. I, I, it just does. We can do circles sometimes around men. They do eight hours, and they come in, and then they're there. You know, I'm not talking bad about the men at all. But we are called to be that support to them. We are called to be, uh, you know, these servants. It doesn't matter if it's to your husband, to your children, or to your church. It is we must serve, and we must serve with a pure heart. If we serve with grumbling and complaining, which we're all prone to. I've done it too. I'm sitting there grumbling, 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 and God speaks to me. Well, who are you doing this for? Why are you doing it? It's motivated again by love. I love my husband. I love my children. I love my grandchildren, so I'm going to clean up after them. But anyway, I lose my train of thought when I get off of whatever I'm supposed to be saying. <laughs> well, anyway. This dear lady, she became a hostess. The definition for ministry or minister is attending to the needs of someone, providing something necessary or helpful. So ministry can mean hospitality. And hospitality has to come without grudging. It can be spiritual. And this is the tricky part. This I want to say this morning this dear lady, when she was talking about Martha and Mary, I feel like many times I've been encumbered about. I've been a Martha. I've been a Mary. There's been times I've been Mary. I love being Mary. But there's been times I know I've been Martha. And you look around, you go, where is everybody? Nobody's helping me. And I want to be Mary more than I want to be Martha. The key is balance. <laughs> we can become so, the Bible says that Paul said, I gladly will spend and be spent for you. We are glad to be spent and be spent for our loved ones. But the Bible says, Paul said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though this is found in 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen. Though the more abundantly I love you. See, it was based on love that he was doing this. The less I be loved. Oh, that's hard. When you are loving with everything within you and you're spending and being spent and you're gladly doing it to people, it's unfortunate that the less you're loved. Wow. There must be a balance to our hospitality. If we're not careful to be led by the Spirit, we could lose our strength. And working with people are like the Bible says in Matthew 7 and 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rent you. We have a treasure. We don't always share that treasure, like, a, like I said, like a walking shoe salesman. We are the light of the world. We live it, and that's the only Bible that some people read. And if that's the case, there is a man, young man in our church when he was real young, and he came to our church, and he got saved. And the young lady that he was with, uh, unfortunately, she backslid. And when she did, he continued to live for God. Well, um, he grew up. He went to uh, the, the Navy, and then he became a Navy SEAL. I mean, 
this young man has really um, gone forward, and he had such a bad home life. He didn't have a mother. He had a father and a sister that was helping to raise him. But the thing about this young man, he is so strong. He's, he comes back, and he visits our church. He's buff, you know, and he's nice-looking young man. He never, ever acts like he's something. You wouldn't know he was a Navy SEAL. You wouldn't know you wouldn't know that he works out all the time other than looking at him. You can tell. He never talks about it. And then when you do say something like, Wow, you look really strong, you know, or, you know, something like that. He he likes me like a mom. Because I used to play ping pong with him after church a lot of times because he was a lonely young man at that time. But you can't see that now. You see what God has done in this young man's life. But the thing that amazes me about him, he doesn't walk around and brag on himself. He doesn't pat himself on the back. He never refers to himself at all. He just lives his life. He, is, he has to do some secrecy because he is a Navy SEAL. But he walks his life as a Navy SEAL with no pride. He doesn't do anything, but you just see it. You see God in his life as well. And I think that the Bible says in John five seventeen, Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Join where the father is working, and you will not experience this burnout like some people say. In Romans 16, this chapter gives a list of women who, would, who work to help serve. And um, one of the things that are listed in 1 Corinthians, it talks about that, that, the, that uh, God has set some in the church as apostles, secondarily prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing. And it lists the word helps. And that is what we are most of the time. We are helps, ministry of helps. But these ladies were ministry of helps. Her, one of them was Phoebe. I'll just touch on a couple of them. She had a gift for helping people in times of difficulty. There are people who literally are very sensitive to the needs of others. Praise God for those people because they've been in my life. They've helped me. They recognize because we, like we say, we put on a face. We go forth, forth and we, we come across as everything is great. But then there's somebody that's there that senses that spirit. They feel something, and they minister to those needs. They see the difficulty in your life, and they begin to minister to you. Priscilla and Aquila, the Bible says simply that they were helpers. Mary, who bestowed much labor, and the list goes on and on. Paul says, who for my life laid down their own necks. That's how much they ministered. The Bible says in Isaiah 30, 15, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And you would not. It's sad when you have the answer to the need and you would not. The Bible is talking about quiet time, like the sister sang this morning, at his feet. We must find times to sit at his feet, to rejuvenate, to be restored. The Bible says in Psalms 23, he restoreth my soul. That means that at times your, store, your soul must be restored. You need that. The strength and the stamina that it takes to minister. After this week, I'll ask any one of you who have done anything at all this week, whether it's been the music, whether it's been cooking, cleaning, or this back here, all the stresses of the whole week, your 
fruit is going to be seen. But after it's all over, may I ask you, are you tired? Yes, we get tired. So we need that time, that quiet time. That'll be our confidence. The other night after we knew that we had come to the halfway to the airport and they said that our flight was canceled, we came back to the house and I, I told my husband, I said, well, we both have messages. They also said that the flights would not be going out on Friday. And I said, we have messages. So now what do we do? We recognize that, God, you didn't just do this on, just for nothing. So our steps are ordered. If we're not to go, then at some point in time, we will minister somewhere these, these messages. If not, then uh, the Lord will make a way for us to get there. And I was just sitting there in front of the fire and just asking the Lord a lot of questions about different things that are going on in my life. And I, I said, Lord, what is my purpose? What do you have for me? You know, we often wonder, you, you have to stop sometimes and think, I'm, I'm going at a fast pace doing all these things, but what is the purpose? And am I missing anything? Am I getting so encumbered like Martha that I'm not actually seeing and I'm being distracted by all the work? That's why I said the balance. We have to pray that. But the Lord spoke to me, and, he, and I felt like he said to me, it's right where you're at. Right here, right now is where you needed to be. So right there in front of that fire, watching that fire, I just could feel the presence of God. Again, at his feet. At his feet, I was sitting there quietly. The Bible says in Psalms 119.28, My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to, unto thy word. Our souls get weary with sorrow and heaviness of the load. But when we get alone with God, we find that strength and stamina and hope in remembering God's words, what the powerful acts that God has done in our life before, the powerful acts that he has done in the lives of the people in this Bible. Life's sorrows can deplete us of our strength. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, God has set some in the church, and I read that already, that these people were helps. Don't think that just because you don't stand behind here or here that you are not nothing. You are something. These helps are what, like, Aaron and her held up the hands of Moses we need errands and hers. We need hers. Hey, there's hers. Hey, we're in, hey, we're in there. <laughs> the Bible says he giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth their strength. So we have no excuse. The Bible says he will give us power when we feel like we're about to faint. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Powerful word there. Powerfully encouraging. We get physically and emotionally exhausted. doesn't matter who you are or where you are in walk of life. This is an incredible encouragement. Wait on the Lord. We get in a hurry. Psalms 23. No, he restores my soul. The good shepherd revives me, strengthens me, re-energizes me. And we can come, become so focused on the problem, we get discouraged and in despair. I know that whenever I received the diagnosis, 
and then I, re I realized that, I, you know, they, they said you must have immediate surgery. Um, everything in the a pathology report was not good. Uh, even during the surgery, it was not good. Um, they did two pathology reports during the surgery, and then on the, the um, after the surgery, the doctor told my husband she did not know even my duration of how much longer I had. She didn't know. She said it was that bad. And um, she said, but we will not say or talk about that until the last report. I want you to know that my husband did not tell me that. He, he was too, he said, I come out of the surgery and he said he could see in me this um, will to live. The, there's, a, there's a saying that uh, I think in the medical world when babies are born that some of it is called failure to thrive. My husband said, I saw thrive in you. I saw that you had a determination to live. And I did because I feel like so many lives depend on what I do. If God was ready to call me home, I was ready. But I know within myself I didn't want to go. I didn't even want to hear, well, you only have about two years or whatever. Well, um, I had a doctor's appointment right away to, um, to tell me what my report was. And the doctor was supposed to have called me to tell me what the dying, you know, really final report was. And it was stage three. And um, she's, she never called. And so the nurse called, and she said to me, she said, has the doctor called you? And uh, she said, we're setting up the appointment. And I, um, so they set the appointment, and I said, no, the doctor has not called me. And she goes, well, we never set up an appointment until after the doctor calls you and tells you what the diagnosis is. And um, so after I hung up with her, I said, well, is she going to call me? And she said, yes, she'll call you. Well, she didn't call. So I'm standing in line at the courthouse trying to get uh, tags for my car. And uh, I called back and I canceled the appointment. And my husband and my family were pretty upset with me. And my husband said, why did you cancel that appointment? to find out what your diagnosis is. We need to know. I said, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to hear what it is. I must wait on God. I must get in his presence. And I must hear from God before I hear what the doctor has to say to me. I'm not ready. Maybe you might think that's putting my head in the sand and saying I don't care and maybe this will go away. No. I spent days when she rescheduled she said well because of the holiday in july 4th she said well it's going to be two weeks and my kids were furious like two weeks we got to wait till you hear just call and find out what's what it is i said no if she, i'm gonna wait till she calls she did not call so when i go to the doctor she examined me and like my husband said last night she was happy she sounded so happy and um before she laid this bunch of papers down like that. And I said, before you read the diagnosis, and I knew I'd heard a word from God the night before, God said, it's more important what you say to her than what she has to say to you. 
And that's what helped me. And I realized then it wasn't about me. It wasn't about the cancer. It wasn't about the diagnosis. All of a sudden, I had a mission. (laughs) My mission was to say the right thing to her, not what she had to say to me. Praise God for that word. So I said, can I pray with you before you give the word, before you give me my diagnosis? She said, um, sure, like that. And the Lord gave me the words to say. And whenever I was done, she goes, okay. That's how she did. Okay. Let's see here. And so she gets the paper and she said, I will have to admit your first pathology was terrible. Report was terrible. The second one was terrible. The third one was terrible. She said it was an aggressive carcinoma and we would have had to have tacked it but we're not going to talk about that now because she said, however, it changed. (laughs) However, it changed. And she was just smiling from ear to ear. She said, we're going to get to know each other really, really well. And every time God has not, I, I have seen two or three doctors since then. God has not laid on my heart to pray with him. But every single time I go to her, I say, can I pray with you? This very last time that I had um, an appointment, I have to go every three months. She said, um, she was fixing to walk out. She just examined me. I'm sitting there half naked. I hate that. And I go, are you leaving or coming back in? She goes, no, I'm gone for the day. You're the last patient like that. And I said, okay. Uh... I said, I'd like to pray with you again. And she goes, I was waiting. I, could, I thought you were never asked. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> it's kind of hard to pray. <laughs> Half naked, how's that? <laughs> Sheet around, you know. So God may call upon you to do a lot of things. They may not be exactly what you want to do. <laughs> Jeremiah twelve five he says, If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace and I, I say to God, forgive me for this, because I felt like a couple of years ago complaining every once in a while <laughs> and when I was in the land of peace, I didn't have to wear a mask. I didn't have to be tied down to these things that the that it's that's there in our world now. Wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee. Then how will you do in the swelling of Jordan? Dear God, help us. When things are going well, rejoice. Embrace those moments. Stay in the time with the spend time at Jesus' feet. Luke eleven thirty four says, sake of time, I, I, I'll just say, we can't allow the light to go out of our eyes. We can't allow ourselves to hang our harps on the willow tree and walk away. It's time. It's high time for us to get up and to go forth. Paul speaks of a man by the name of Epiditus as his brother in the Lord and companion in labor and fellow soldier. But because of the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply service to Paul, 
by, because the Philippians had failed to serve. Now think about that. Oftentimes in churches, there's always two or three people. There's a lot of people in the church, but there's just, it falls the work falls so much on just those handful, and they become exhausted. We must go forth, pick up that broom and start sweeping, pick up that dish and start serving the Lord by doing that. Sadly, those Philippians were not in their place to serve Paul like they should have and serve the ministry. So here, this poor man, Epaphroditus, I may not be saying his name right, he did it all. And there's a lot of you who are like that. You do it all. A lot of things can rob us of our strength to minister, and I want to close with these last few things that can rob us of our strength. There's a lot of things that can rob us of our strength. Discontentment. Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. You know, this was the problem from the beginning in the garden. This drove Adam and Eve, can you believe, from their very perfect paradise, discontentment. Had God said that they let that snake, it will drive you from your own garden if you allow it to remain. And you don't realize how great a garden you've got until you don't got it no more. God spoke to me in January 1st, value what you do have and don't focus on what you don't have. You know, we all have problems. There was a situation that was going on in my life and I was really very discouraged about it. And I went to the Lord in prayer. God, this is hurting me really, really bad. And that's when he said to me, value what you do have. And I, it changed the whole perspective of that situation. I loved this person so much, and I kept having problems with them. And I loved them so much, and I kept wanting and desiring that back, what we did have. And I'm talking about a family member. Lord, I want that back. Every time I get in their presence, I seem like I'm getting on their nerves. I hate that. And I couldn't change it. And then it made me worse, it seemed like. I tried harder. And when God said, value what you do have and not what you don't have, as soon as he said that, I saw all the times that we, the good times that we had, the love that we had, but it just wasn't where I wanted it to be, like it used to be. And then when I did that, I didn't focus on what I didn't have anymore. I valued what I did have. It changed it all around. Hallelujah. Then the number number two I want to talk on is unforgiveness. Joseph knew this well. He had to forgive his brothers who sold him into slavery. They rejected him when he was in this. And at the end of his life, or he was in the second command. His mind was never wiped clean. And I could go for a long time on that when he had his two children and what he named them and what it meant. But his mind was never wiped clean of it, but the sting of it had left. Joseph didn't show himself readily to his brothers, if you know the story, uh, he, who he was. But many years later, because he wanted to see how they were and if they had changed. He wanted to see, so he proved them. He wanted to prove them to see whether he could have a relationship with them or not. 
If they had not changed, he could have no further relationship with him. Which brings me to my next thought. Knowing who can be close to you and those who cannot. Because it's not that you haven't forgiven. If they don't change, then they can suck the life out of you. Friends, we need to we need to choose our friends wisely and we need to let go of some of them. Now some of them, I'm not talking about your spouse by no means. The Lord gives instructions for that, the who if you have an unsaved spouse, he tells you to to do a lot of things. You can, you can find me later and I'll tell you some things to do <laughs> that might can help you, hopefully. Um, you pray for your spouse, number one. But it's friends. Do they inspire you? Whether it's a colleague, a friend that sticks close to you, you know, through good or bad, or whether it's a family member, a church friend. Perhaps a person who feels like they become your friend through, like, say, books or CDs. These people can add strength to your life. And and um, one of those ladies is uh, Elizabeth Elliot. I don't know if you've ever heard of her story. It's a missionary. Her husband was killed along with four others. Five men were killed in, in the 1950s. And, um, and they were uh, in Ecuador, and they were uh, Indians had killed them, thinking they were cannibals. And she went back into the jungle, and she began to minister to the very ones who killed her husband. And I know I had been going through, uh, and it sounds like I go through a lot, but hey, it, it's everybody. We all go through battles. But I was battling something very, very badly for over a year, and I did not know how to release it. Do you ever carry something and give, give it to God? You get up and you take it back again because they're in your face. The situation or the people or whatever back in your face, and it starts it all over again. Well... I was listening to Elizabeth Elliot. I'd heard about her since I was a child, 16 years old, probably was the first time I'd ever heard about her. And when I heard her testimony, and I heard that she went back into the jungle and began to minister to the very people who killed her husband, I said, Lord, how can I sit here and allow this thing that is troubling me to rob me of everything that I have when this lady turned it around? And I began to realize it's not about me. It is about the people that are around you. We focus so much on ourselves and what's going on with us four and no more that we cannot see that there are other people around us. She, they built like four, like and a, uh, four, uh, well, two before's or whatever it's called anyway, and a hatched, uh, thatch roof on the top. And that's how she lived. For one solid year with her little daughter. And she lived, she, she had a hammock in there. And she said they made fun of her every day because of the way she lived. Finally, she said after a year, I'm going to have to put something around. I would have wanted something around uh, right away. <laughs> Not been out there in the open where everything could see me and snakes and everything else. But she lived like that. And this lady was very educated. And I thought, Lord, if you can do that. I may never be an Elizabeth Elliot, but Lord, change me. And he began to change me. And in this process, this has been two or three years ago, I know God was planning and preparing me for this day. When my, my strength was limited, I had to know more than ever 
who I could minister to and who not to. I didn't want to waste my strength. That may sound like it's harsh, but it's not. Sickness can rob you of your strength as well. You know, there's a, um, there was a saying that I've, I can't find it even in my notes, but it was really good. <laughs> it was talking about like whenever you allow some people to uh, suck the life out of you, stop giving them the straw. I've done that a lot of times. I allowed them to suck the life out of me. My son-in-law brought that out to me very clearly. He's a good guy. I love that boy. He's not a boy. He's a man. But he has taught me so much about things like that. What can rob us of our strength? You know, it hurts to heal sometimes. Even though we're sick and we're sick for a long time, it hurts to heal. But, you know, God gives us emotions. We feel these things. So... I'd like to leave you with the scripture in um, 1 Samuel 30. It talks about uh, David. He was at Ziklag, and when he got there with his 600 men, his home was burned. His wife's wives, sorry, he had two at the time, were gone, and his children. And... What did David do? His first thing that he did was he got a long, he wept. He wept hard. He cried so hard that the Bible says that he cried till nothing was there. Nothing. Have you ever cried like that? Where nothing is left? So he cried. Then he got up. And the Bible says he had 600 men trying to tell him what to do. They were angry. They wanted to kill him. And some of these were his best friends. He had 600 voices trying to tell him what to do. But he got alone with God. There again is that, sitting at the feet of Jesus. It says he encouraged himself. The Bible says in another, I think it's the New King James, says he strengthened himself. There's that word strength again. He encouraged himself. He strengthened himself. And then he said, God, what do you want me to do? He waited in the presence of God to hear the next step. You have to wait sometimes for those marching orders. People in the military, they wait till they get that letter in the mail for those marching orders. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to be stationed? What are they going to do? Sometimes that waiting is the hardest part. But you wait on God, and he will give you words to speak. He may say to you, it's more important what you say to that person than what they have to say to you. He may say that. But David said, after he heard from God, he said, you go to war. You go to war. And you have to go to war for your family. You have to go to war for some of your family members and some of your friends. He went to war, and I love this part. He recovered all. He recovered all. So last year, when everything happened, I lost my hair. Um... A lot of things happened. I won't go into that. But every time I kept hearing God say, I'm going to give you a double portion. And that double portion, I know it comes with a lot. Just as we heard, Elisha. It's a, it, you asked a hard thing for that double portion. But I'm recovering all. He said, I'll recover all. So lastly, I leave with you that Strength comes from prayer. 
being in his presence, waiting on the Lord, those quiet times, set aside those times, whatever they are, joining where the Father's working and not wasting your strength where he's not working. I have two friends that texted me during this time. One texted me just today. But the friend that texted me when it first happened of this illness, the word of God implanted in your heart by years of reading and teaching it is a fortress around your mind to overcome his enemies, the enemies and his attacks. He may have knocked your sword down for a minute, but you just pick it back up and continue. That's powerful. Praise God. And then the other friend that texted me today, she said, it's not about the cancer. It's about the woman of God when you said that. And I don't view myself as that either. It is about the woman of God. It's about the journey he's taking you, what you've gone through, and what he's making into you today. So whatever God is doing in your life today, it doesn't have to be cancer I do believe that the Lord spoke to me in each time he has. I'm humbled by it because I, I say, God, you speak. And you have something powerful to say. I was alone with God and I was just watching um, HGTV. I love that show. I love to build, I'd love to build a house one day. I know I'm 61 years old and I told my son-in-law, I want to build a house. He said, well, then let's go. There's a, there's a uh, seminar that you could go to and they teach you. I said, well, hey, I want to do that. I really do. But I was sitting there watching it and um, I heard God say to me, read Nahum. I said, read Nahum? <laughs> I barely knew it, you know, it's an old, it's a minor prophet, I knew that, I knew because I've read the Bible several, several times through, and so I knew, and I thought, oh, I don't know, I'm just probably hearing things, you know, and I wanted to see how this, this show ended, I'm being honest, and I mean, I'm sitting there, and I hear it again, read Nahum, and I was like, okay, I knew that was God, I turned that TV off, I said, I don't care what they do, I'll find out later, or I don't care, I want to see what Nahum says. (laughs) All along, I had not called it cancer. I didn't like that word. I called it an affliction. And uh, Nahum 1.9 says, Affliction shall not rise up the second time. I almost missed God. I didn't know that's what it would say. It reads it exactly like that. So when I went to the radio, uh, to the lady who was going to do the radiation, radiologist, she said, why are you not choosing this? Because it was in my lymph nodes, and so they were very, you know, very, very concerned about that. So that's why they wanted to do the chemo six treatments, but I wound up doing three. But... They said, you need to do radiation as well. I said, well, I'm a Christian. I don't know how you would, I don't know how you would feel about this. But um, I said, I read in Nahum the other day. And she goes, Nahum? That's how she did it. Nahum? She looked over her glasses. And I said, yes. And it said, affliction shall not rise up the second time. 
I said, I don't think I need radiation because affliction's not rising up the second time. I give God the glory for, for great things he has done that he will do in your life. Get alone with God. Get that strength that you need. The perspectives in order in your life need to change. Your thinking needs to change. My husband used to say, you can never get past what you're thinking. You can never come up higher if you keep on thinking the same way you're thinking. So get alone with God and he'll change your thinking. He'll start telling you things. He'll start telling you, get your eyes off of yourself. It's on others. So many lives depend on what we do. It's amazing how many people will go to heaven that we'll never know until we get there. We'll never know how much a hug, a kiss on the cheek. We're scared to do that now because of COVID. If God leads you just to hold someone's hand, if God just says to you, go wash that lady's dishes. Most people don't like to do that. I don't want nobody to wash my dishes, but my mom came and washed my dishes day after day. And I said, Mom, I hate for you to do that. She's 80 years old. She goes, but I love to do it. It's what I want to do for you. It's not much I can do for you, but I want to do this for you. And it was nice. Nice, because we get a lot of dirty dishes at our house for some reason. I I have a dishwasher, but I don't like it. (laughs) There's just little things in life that you can minister to someone and make a difference. Ask God, because it's not, it's not always the same thing that's, that it, God tells me. Ask him the simplest, littlest thing. Get alone with him wherever it is. Ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? It may not be about singing a song. You may have a beautiful voice, but God may not say, sing this song. He may just say, go pray with that lady. Or he may say, give them a gift. What if they don't like me? I've, I've encountered that. Bible says to heap coals of fire on their head then if they don't like you. But if God is directing your eyeball to somebody, then God, you got to know the Father's already there working. He's just wanting you to join where that work is. Praise God. Sister.